on the subject of grace but holiness. Grace but also holiness. Uh, Dad has been doing a series on if the foundations be destroyed in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, he has been talking about holiness, and we're going to uh, bump up against one of the reference verses that he has been using. Uh, I'm trying to get my... Brother Alan, could you... There we go. I think the batteries are about ready to die on this thing. It's uh, not uh, picking up. But anyway, we're, we're good now. And so I want to bump up against one of the, the verses that Dad was using. And really, where this sermon came from was uh, earlier this week, I was sitting in traffic, and I was sitting behind someone, and they had, uh, they weren't really those bumper stickers, they were like the uh, the window cling stickers, you know, uh, on the back of their car, but they had a bunch of them. And one of them I saw, it said, I love Jesus, but I also like to cuss. And I saw that and I was like, hmm. And then I was looking at, at uh, some of their other uh, bumper stickers, or some of the other stickers they had, and every single one of them had some sort of vulgarity in it, or some reference. Uh, in fact, one of them said, uh, I'm an F-bomb dropping type of mom. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought, you know, that is very descriptive of where our church culture is at in America. Uh, We have gotten to a point, you know, it is true that a lot of times conservative churches, traditional churches like ours, you know, a lot of times we do kind of put sin in different lists. We have a a list of sins that are bad and you shouldn't be doing them. And if you're doing those sins and you can't be a Christian or you shouldn't call yourself a Christian. And then we have our list of sins that are that are okay. Everybody kind of sins a little bit. And, and so those are okay as long as it's not too bad. And that's true. Uh, that is true that we tend to do that. And it is also true that uh, we tend to think that our sin isn't as bad as someone else's sin. And so we tend to point our fingers at other people. But in the last few years, I've heard multiple people, I've been told a couple times, uh, in fact, well, don't get mad at me just because I sin differently than you. And uh, and don't judge what I'm doing because I sin differently. Well, again, that is all true. We are sinful people. The Bible tells us that we, even as Christians, we are going to sin as Christians, and, and we live under grace, and I understand that. But we have entered into a time where we, it's like we don't even try. We use that as a crutch. We use it as an excuse to say, well, you know, everybody sins, and, and so that's just the sin I struggle with, and, and you can't get mad at me for that. And, and so we just kind of give up on even trying to be holy and trying to be good and trying to follow after God's righteousness. And really, it's honestly taken a step further into where I, I think this, the spirit of that little bumper sticker I saw is it's, it's gone past the point of, well, I'm not really even going to try. Now it's almost like we are reveling in the fact that we are sinful people. We are bragging about the sins that we have in our lives. And we are saying, oh, look, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm still a sinful person and, and I'm not like those judgmental Christians and, and I understand. And it's almost like we brag about the sins in our life. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought that is not at all what the Bible teaches. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, the Old Testament, you know, that they were under the law, but the New Testament, we're under grace and, and that's where we need to be living in is in the New Testament and, and in the grace and And even in the New Testament, we see that, yes, we live under grace. And, yes, uh, grace, God's grace covers all of our sin. And, yes, Paul says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But all throughout the New Testament, we are told that that is not to be used as as an excuse to just revel in your sin and to not even try, not not even seek after holiness. And so this morning, 
I want to read verses 14 uh, through 29. It's through the end of the chapter. And the writer of Hebrews says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I hope that is familiar. Dad's used that the last few weeks uh, as a reference verse. Looking diligently, lest any man fall, uh, fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby, thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come into the mount that might not be, or might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor in blackness, nor in darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of the words which they heard, the, which the voice they heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was uh, commanded. And if so, and if so much a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, "I exceedingly fear and quake." But ye are come unto the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable, innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and God the judge of all, and to all the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than the, thing, than the things that of Abel. And see that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not uh, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth uh, only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of the things that are shaken as the things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And so here the writer of Hebrews gives us two contrasting mountains. Uh, that we find in Scripture. And so the first one is the mountain of fear. And so Paul, or the, sorry, we don't know who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, by the way. Uh, the writer of Hebrews here, uh, I'm going to ask for some crowd participation here, and let's just see some Bible trivia. If you were going to sum up the, the book of Hebrews into one sentence, what would that sentence be? Anybody just shout it out if you know it. Boy, you got to brush up on your Bible trivia here. The theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. In the first couple chapters, the writer talks about how Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the priests. Uh, and so he, all throughout the book of Hebrews, he, the writer is writing this book to Jewish people who are now converted into Christianity. And they were a little unsure of this new faith because they were used to uh, they were used to this kind of hands-on mentality of their, their religion. Uh, they would go and they would uh, see the sacrifices being made. They would smell the incense being burned. Uh, they would see all of this going on inside the temple. 
And now, all of a sudden now, their faith in God, it's, it's just that. It's just faith. They come to Christ and, and they, they bow their heads and, and they, they come to Christ and they come to uh, the, the throne of God boldly now. That's what the writer tells us, that we come before boldly now the throne of, of God uh, through Christ. And so here, these, these Jews are kind of considering going back to their old faith. And the writer is telling them, no, Jesus is better than all of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the things in the Old Testament. And so, again, he's better than the, the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the priests that you had. He's better than the law that you uh, followed after. And so here he is making this contrast again. He talks about two mountains, and he talks about this mountain of fear. And so he talks about, he says, we're not come to this mountain where we can't touch it, and there's, there's smoke, and there's rumblings, and, and Moses is talking about how he is exceedingly fearful, and he's trembling. And so what he, he doesn't specifically mention it by name, but what he's referencing is the Mount of Mount Sinai. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, the first place they stop is at Mount Sinai. And in the book of Exodus, is they stop there. And if you remember, Moses goes up on this mountain, and that's where he gets the Ten Commandments. But there are certain things that happen when Moses goes up there. And so turn, if you will, to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I don't have it up on the PowerPoint, so if you want to read along, you'll need to turn there. Exodus chapter 19 is where we see uh, this reference that the writer of Hebrews is making. And so... Uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up on the mount, or touch the border of it, Wherefore, or whoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall, not, uh, there shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. And it shall not live when the trumpet sounds long, and they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount, said unto the people, and sanctified the people, and uh, they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. Uh, and he, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood neither at neither part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount greatly qua uh, great, quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and at the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And so here is what the, the writer of Hebrews is referencing when he's talking about it. He says, now that we've come to Jesus, he said, we don't, we're not coming to this mountain uh, that we have to fear. And he's referencing this Mount Sinai, and it's really a reference to the law. And he says, you know, you remember the story that when the children of Israel came upon that mountain, 
God tells Moses, he says, tell the children of Israel, do not touch this mountain. In fact, I want you to build a border around this mountain so that way they can't touch it. He said, if anybody comes up and touches it, even if it's a, a, a cattle comes up and touches it, you are to stone that person. You are to shoot them through with the dart. You're basically you're to kill them for disobeying God's law. And so the Bible in, in the book of Exodus, what we just read there, that was a terrible, terrible sight for them. As soon as they saw that, they saw the, the smoke that was filling the mountain and they saw the fire on top of the mountain and they, and they saw this and, and the, the earth started quaking every time God would speak. And they saw that, and the Bible says that they trembled with fear. And so the writer of Hebrews here is saying, look, we don't live under the law anymore. We don't live that way. And in fact, uh, what he is trying to say is, look, when, when you came to God before, you had to come to him as this fear and trembling. You had to come to him through Moses. They couldn't even go to God themselves. They had to go through Moses. And yet he says, that's not what we live by anymore. He says, we don't live under that law anymore. We don't live under that fear and trembling anymore. But he says that there is a mountain of grace. He says, now we have this mountain of Mount Zion. And so Mount Zion refers to Jerusalem, where Jerusalem sat. And he's not really referring back to the literal Jerusalem that they lived in and that they worshipped in. He's really referring to the new Jerusalem that's going to come down in the end times. And he's referring to the fact that now we live under this grace. He talks about uh, Jesus' blood had been sprinkled. And that's a reference back to uh, the, the days of the tabernacle and the days of the, of, the, uh, of the temple. If you remember, as I said before, they couldn't come to, to God themselves. At Mount Sinai, they had to come to God through Moses. God spoke to Moses and then Moses came down and told them what God said. And then in the tabernacle, in the, in the uh, temple, they couldn't go to God themselves. If you remember, there was the holy place, or the holiest place. And uh, they, that's where the, the only the priest could go. And that's where they would burn their incense. And that's where they would do all of their uh, the different uh, rituals that they had to do. And then once a year in the Day of Atonement, only the, the high priest could go into the holiest place, or the, the most holy place, or the holiest of holies. That They were the only ones that could go there. And on the Day of Atonement, they would make that sacrifice and they would walk around and they would sprinkle that blood for the, the nation of Israel. And so the writer of Hebrews talks about now we don't live that way. We live under grace. He says now Jesus' blood is sprinkled for us. And he said, basically he's referencing that, that Day of Atonement that before they had to take their sacrifice to the high priest to make the sacrifice for them. And then they had to hope that God accepted the sacrifice of the high priest. He says, but now we have access into the holiest of holies. We can come to God ourselves. We live in a new mountain. We come to a new mountain. He talks about how when Jesus' blood was sprinkled, it wasn't sprinkled uh, like the blood of Abel. So if you remember back to the, the first murder of the, of the history of mankind, when Cain killed his brother Abel. You see, when Abel's blood was, was shed... His blood, when it was shed, really cried out for vengeance. That's why God punished Cain, because something had to be done over the spilling of his blood. But he says when Christ was, was crucified for us, he said Christ's blood doesn't cry out for vengeance, even though Christ didn't do anything to deserve his death. Christ's blood cries out for our grace, for, for mercy for us and for grace for us. It cries out for our forgiveness of sins. 
And so the writer of Hebrews says, yes, you live not in fear, not in trembling. You live in, in this, this time of grace, and it's better. It's better than that. If you're uh, in our Sunday school hour, we talked about how, you know, if you're, Paul told Timothy, he said the law wasn't made for righteous people. The law was made for unrighteous people to show us how unrighteous we were. And so the writer of Hebrews here is, is referencing that, saying, look, when you were living under the law, under the Old Testament, you were constantly in fear. You were constantly, you had the Ten Commandments holding over your head the entire time because it was reminding you day after day after day that you were unholy and that God is holy and pure and you were completely unholy and completely impure. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, in the Old Testament times before Christ came, that's where you lived. You lived in fear and trembling. And the only way you could come to God was through fear and trembling, just like they did in Mount Sinai. But now we have this mountain of grace. Now we are sitting here and we, we come to Christ and we, we are not in fear. We are not in trembling. In fact, he says we are in the presence of angels, innumerable angels. We are standing here now uh, under God's grace. And so a lot of times that's where people end up in today's American church culture is, hey, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to worry about the law anymore. We're living under grace. We're, we're, we're in Grace Mountain now. We're not in Fear Mountain. We're in Grace Mountain. And that's kind of where they, live it, they leave it off. But uh, the writer of Hebrews then goes, uh, if I can get, there we go, to grace-filled holiness. Let's look again in uh, verse 28 and 29. He says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is consuming fire. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, Again, whenever you see the word therefore or wherefore, uh, it's, it's always conclusion. It's basically because of everything I just said. The writer of Hebrews says, yes, we don't live under the law anymore. We live under grace. And so because of that, he says that we ought to live in a way where we serve God acceptably with reverence and a godly fear. I hate to say it, but a lot of times when I'm sitting behind someone in traffic that has a bumper sticker that is bragging about the fact that, yes, I am a Christian, but I also enjoy my sin, that doesn't seem to be following the command here, where we are told to live, yes, we are living with grace, but we are to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Yes, we live under grace, and yes, God's grace covers all of our sins, and yes, we, we need to get rid of all of these our sin, you know, list of good sins and list of bad sins. Yes, we need to do all of that. But the Bible also tells us that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are commanded here by the writer of Hebrews to live our lives not reveling in our sin, not saying, oh, yay, I, I live under grace and I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want and God's grace covers it. And that's how great God's grace is. We shouldn't live that way. We should live our, our lives in reverence in godly fear. And then at the end, uh, he ends this uh, chapter. Now, I, I understand that when it was written, it wasn't broken down in chapters and verses. Those are added later on so we could study the Bible more effectively. But 
it kind of ends this discussion. He says, for our God is consuming fire. And that's an interesting phrase. That, uh, in fact, I had to practice saying that. Uh, our God is a consuming fire. I had to practice saying it because when I was in high school, there was a, a, a Christian song that came out that it talks about God being a consuming fire. And the way, uh, if you're saying it the way he sings it, it's our God is a consuming fire. And every time I hear that, or every time I read this, I think of that, that uh, song. And so I had to practice it to say that our God is a consuming fire without the emphasis like they sing it. Uh, but God being a consuming fire, you know, fire... Depending on the situation, fire is either life-saving or devastating. Uh, in fact, just this morning, you know, we, we talked about this family that uh, is a part of our American Heritage Girls and, and Trail Life Troop. Uh, that fire, that was devastating for them. It took everything they had. That consuming fire was devastating. Every, every uh, year there's the, the wildfire season out west, and, and every year when that happens, we, we see stories of homes being devastated, of, of lives being lost. And, and that consuming fire, that's a devastating thing. A few years ago uh, down in Gatlinburg, and, and even just this past year, I think they had a couple other fire, fires in that area. And that was devastating. Some of you have been down there since that fire, and, and that just it devastated that area. It consumed everything. Uh, we were down there a few months after the, the fire was out, and, and they were still, I mean, you could see homes just burnt to the ground, and you could see they there would be just a foundation and there would be like a, a stove and a refrigerator still sitting there. But everything else was, was gone. It was devastating. It was consuming fire. But yet, for thousands of years, fire was what kept humans alive. Fire is what we use to heat our homes. And so that consuming fire, that same fire that can devastate and, and take everything away, it can also sustain you and it can give you life. But every time I think about this consuming fire, I think about my favorite TV show. In fact, I was uh, last week when Dad and I were down in uh, in Kentucky, we stayed in a hotel the first night, and uh, Friday night was a season premiere of Gold Rush on Discovery Channel. Uh, if you're if you've never watched, I encourage you. It's a great show. It's a reality show, uh, and, and I understand a lot of reality shows not real, but these these are actual gold miners. Uh, started off like 10, 15 years ago. They were in um, Alaska. Now they're up in uh, in the Klondike in Canada and the U- Yukon uh, gold fields. And uh, it's real neat to watch it, uh, at least for me. You know, they have all this equipment and they dig through all of this dirt and they, they go through thousands and thousands of yards of dirt. Uh, if you're if you're not aware, nowadays the you know, all of the big chunky gold has kind of been that was gathered up back in the old gold rushes uh, in the 18 and early 1900s. And so now most of the gold that's mined is real fine gold. It's about the size of like a, a grain of sugar or a grain of sand or a grain of salt. And so what they do is they dig through all of this dirt and they run the dirt through this wash plant that washes it and, and they have these riffles in it and they use different scientific methods to, uh, with hydraulic pressure and all that kind of stuff. And, and they get all the, the gold into these mats and then they wash it and then they, you know, get all the, the gold out of that. And then they have this, at the end, they have this big pile of gold. And every week at the end of each episode, that you know, that's kind of the conclusion of each episode is they weigh how much gold that they got. And most of the gold miners that they follow now, they get between like 100 ounces and 400 ounces a week, 500 ounces a week, and uh, a lot of money. If you think gold is, uh, last time I checked, it was like 16, 1800 dollars an ounce, and if you're getting 100, 200, 300 ounces a week out of that, that's a lot of money. 
Uh, but when you watch it, they will, what they'll do is they'll have a scale there and they'll start pouring it out and they'll, they'll weigh it. And it's sparkly like you would expect gold to be, but it's not pure gold. If you look closely, if they zoom in on it, you can see that even on those specks of gold, like it'll be half gold and then the other half that speck, it'll be dark and that's impurities in that gold. And one of the gold miners that is part of the show, one of the things that he does just kind of as a hobby is he smelts his own gold. And so what he does is uh, he'll get this furnace. It's a propane-fed furnace, uh, and it's got these fire bricks in it, and he heats it up to thousands of degrees. And uh, so he gets that fire going extremely hot. And then he puts that crucible in there uh, that's a, like a fireproof clay, and he puts that in there, and he uh, puts the gold in there, and then he also puts some, uh, like a lot of times he put like aluminum powder and stuff that helps that I don't understand the the science behind it, but... They put other metals in there that help mix whenever the gold melts down. It helps mix with those impurities, and it draws those impurities out. And so they do that, and they let it melt down, and after a while, all the impurities start floating to the top. And so they'll take that off, and they'll take that slag off there, and then once it's all done, they'll pour it out into a mold and let it cool down. And when it's, when it's all cooled down, they'll take it out of that mold, and it's a pure, it's a bar of pure gold. All the impurities have been taken out. And every time I watch them do that, or they'll, three or four times a season, they'll show them uh, smelting the gold down a little bit. And every time I, I'm reminded of this verse, that our God is a consuming fire. Because the fact is, that same fire, like I said, they, they heat that thing up to thousands of degrees. And they have to have special fireproof boxes and different things to do this in. And that same fire, if that fire were to get out where they're at and, and to start burning, that would be devastating. It would consume everything around them. But that same consuming fire, if it's used for the right purpose, and if it's used the way that, that they intend it to be used, it takes all those impurities out of that gold. And the fact is, it's the same situation with God being a consuming fire. To a sinful person, God's consuming fire, that is devastating. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about it, he says, if he said in the same way that the people that didn't listen to when God came to the earth, meaning when he spoke from the earth, meaning through Moses uh, and Mount Sinai, he said those people that didn't uh, didn't follow his word, they were killed. They were devastated. They were they were destroyed. He said, how much more if we don't listen to the word of God from heaven, which is referring to Christ coming down uh, to this earth from heaven. He said, how much more will we be destroyed if we ignore the words of God that came from heaven? And so for those who don't believe in the gospel, those who don't heed the words of Christ, that consuming fire, that's devastating. That will destroy them for eternity. But for those of us who are Christians, that same consuming fire, if we allow it, God's consuming fire will start taking all those impurities out of our lives. If we live in a way and we live with reverence and godly fear, and we live in a way that is a grace-filled holiness. Yes, we are not trying to be holy because we think we're better than everybody and we think that our sins are not as bad as other people's sins. If we get all of that out of our lives and we let God take control of our lives, yes, we understand that God's uh, grace can cover any sin. And no matter what kind of sin we get involved with, God's grace can forgive those sins and can cover those sins and still cleanse us from the unrighteousness. But if we allow God's consuming fire to come into our life, that consuming fire can purify us. It can take all the impurities out. 
And little by little, those sins that we struggle with, if we allow God to do work in our lives, little by little, we'll see that God is starting to take those impurities out of our life. Now listen, we'll never be pure here on earth. The Bible teaches that. Book of First John, he talks about how he says, "I pray that you sin not, but when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father." And so, yes, we will never be perfect until we we reach heaven. But as our lives uh, are, as we mature in our lives and we mature in our Christian walk, we ought to be letting that consuming fire of God purify our lives and lead us more toward holiness. So that way, we can f- live a life that is uh, a grace-filled holiness life. Let's stand together. This morning, I I think the, the question that we need to ask ourselves is that consuming fire, to me, what is it? Am I someone who's not heeded the words of Christ? Am I someone that has not allowed God to take hold of my life? And if that's the case, then the consuming fire, that that will eventually destroy you. God's judgment will come upon you. And so if you've not received Christ as your Savior and you're not heeding Christ's words, you can take care of that this morning and then you can change that consuming fire from something of fear to something that is pure and holy and is allowing uh, that holiness to seep up in your life. For those of us who are Christians, are we allowing God's consuming fire into our life? Are we living our lives with a, a... life that's filled with reverence and godly fear? Or are we saying, well, everybody sins, uh, you know, oh well, you know, yeah, I sin, you know, everybody does, and so I'm, I'm not even going to try. If that's our attitude, we need to pray that God take that attitude away from us and change our lives. Let's pray. George, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that we no longer live on that mountain of fear. We no longer have to fear coming to you. We can come boldly before your throne because of the work of Christ. But Lord, we ask that we not take that uh, privilege lightly. We ask that you would challenge our hearts, that we would fully understand that you still demand holiness in our lives, that you still demand that we live with reverence and a godly fear to you. Help us as we go through our lives to never forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this morning.